Hi, welcome to another episode of Book Bestie. Today I'm joined again by my friend Courtney Fox to discuss Before the Coffee Gets Cold by Toshikazu Kawaguchi. For those who haven't listened to our discussion of a year of rest and relaxation, Courtney holds a communication studies degree from Christopher Newport University and works as a human resources officer. She's also incredibly active in the local community theater scene. In fact, in a few months, she'll be playing Corey Bratter in Barefoot in the Park, written by Neil Simon. Watching Courtney perform on stage is one of my great joys in life. For those of you who haven't read the book, here's a little book blurb. In a small back alley in Tokyo, there is a cafe which has been serving carefully brewed coffee for more than 100 years. But this coffee shop offers its customers a unique experience, the chance to travel back in time. And before the coffee gets cold, we meet four visitors, each of whom is hoping to make use of the coffee's time-traveling offer in order to confront the lover who left them, receive a letter from their husband whose memory has begun to fade, see their sister one last time, and meet the daughter they never got a chance to know. But the journey into the past does not come without risks. Customers much, must sit in a particular seat, they cannot leave the cafe, and finally, they must return to the present before the coffee gets cold. Let's get into it, besties. All right. Hi, Courtney. Welcome back to Book Bestie. Hi. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> um, so first question is, how did you like the book? So before you answer that question, you read this last year, right? Yeah, I read it, honestly, right after I read, um, uh, what was that last book that we did? My, my year of rest and relaxation yeah. yeah I read it immediately after and then I was like oh damn I should have picked this book so that was like September October time frame yeah okay all right but you said that you were like checking the interwebs to refresh your memory and stuff yeah I I remember most of it the the big things I had to double check the names and everything because they're all Japanese names so I wanted to make sure I had them down um but Yes, I did. Okay. I refreshed my memory. So now we'll go into the, how did you like the book? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. So uh, I have this habit of reading reviews after I finish a book. And I noticed that people kind of either love or hate this, which is wild to me because it doesn't seem um, polarizing whatsoever. Um, but I think, I think I know the answer to why people hate this and why, or not hate it, hate is a strong word why people struggle with it and so it's important to note that the book was originally published and written in Japanese and mm -hmm. so what we're reading is a translation and right. sometimes with translations um things don't even with the best of intentions things don't always translate exactly correctly so yeah, I think that might don't be... get conveyed super clearly yeah sometimes. exactly yeah. so I think that might be why some people um struggled with it also nothing it, it's not a um it's not in it, for lack of a better term thrilling it's not a thrilling book it's very much it's telling different stories of people's livelihoods and it's more emotion-based than it is I think activity-based so somebody that wants a book with a lot of action they're not gonna I think relate to this but as far as feelings go um I had a lot of them while reading this so I do think it's more like a like a vignette type of like where you're getting a picture of people's lives. You're not really getting yeah. like 
I mean, I guess there is the deadline of you have to finish your visit before the coffee gets cold. But mm-hmm. outside of that, there's not really like any sort of impending Urgency. doom. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and because you're going to the past and um, or, or future, as we find out later in, in the book that you can travel to the future, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the only sense of urgency is really while they're there and um, and making sure they come back before the coffee gets cold, which let me tell you, I drink coffee every day and that's not a long visit. Mm-hmm. It's really it- not. I know it's magic coffee. Um, so I think. what it's like basically an hour that they have which I've never had a cup of coffee that lasted an hour being so that was actually one of the things that I was gonna bring up is it seems like for so so there are four different stories right so the first one is the couple with um Fumagi I think that's her name I should have written down names Fumiko and Goro okay okay so it seemed like when Fumiko was going back to visit or to talk to Goro to see, like, hey, or to tell him, like, hey, I don't want you to leave, go to America. It seemed like her visit was maybe, like, five minutes. Whereas, like, when um, when we find out Ki, I don't know how to say the daughter's Hi. name. Kai, Kai and Miki. Wow. You were, I'm so glad you did this. Okay, well, so-, so I have the benefit of listening on. I listened to this on an audiobook, so I have the pronunciations in my head, which I can see. Yeah, that looks like K or Kai, K E I. So, okay, I get so it. it's it's say it again. Was Kai? Kai. Okay, so Mickey and Kai. So Mickey comes back to see Kai, mm-hmm. um, and it seems like she's able to wait for like a very very long time because the cafe manager, Kai's husband is like figuring out trying to figure out who she's there to see and so it seems like she's there for like a very long time but then compared to Fumiko right yep Fumiko killing it um Fumiko is literally like she's like hey why did you leave and it just seems like it's not as much time it doesn't seem like the time's consistent is my whole rambling I agree with that um in the theater world, we call that a suspension of reality. But also, I think in terms of being realistic, there is because they can't exactly go back to a they do their best to go back to a specific time, mm-hmm. but they can't exactly go back to the exact time. It's like it's all in their heads and, you know, visioning where they want to go and everything like that. So there is the potential that she was waiting for who knows how long before he showed up. I uh, Yeah. OK. OK. All right. Yeah, I guess. I guess I'm willing to believe then that the coffee's staying warm for an hour. It's magic coffee. Yeah. But also, I, yeah, side ahead, yeah, I All love the, the side people note. that um, add creamer to their coffee. Like, why would you do that? It makes your coffee get colder. Like, even if you don't like black coffee, drink it black. It's going to stay warm longer if you drink it black. Yeah, straight up. That was one of the things with Fumiko. She was like, I can't handle the bitterness of coffee. Oh, this is more bitter than I was expecting. And then she just like dumps a ton of sugar and cream in there. Yeah, suck it up because if you put cream in it, it's going to get cold faster. What a silly goose. That's very silly. That's what I have to say about that. I did. Um, so like all of the rules were super frustrating with the time travel thing, which I get like there has yeah. to be some constraints <laughs> to the to the magic. But I, 
I really appreciated the random rule where if um, Kazu or anybody offers the ghost coffee, she has to accept the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that came in handy for, um, I can't remember which one it was. Was I don't know if it was for um, Kumi or Harai or or for Kai. Yeah, it but... was for Harai, I think, with her sister. Yeah. And it, it was, it's kind of, it's fun to realize that, like, you know, this, this cafe has been open for hundreds of years or at least over a hundred years and nobody ever realized that you could actually force the old woman to get up well we don't know that she's old right i thought it said she was old maybe i thought she just had like really pale skin and really dark hair and she was wearing a white dress i don't remember her age or like her appearance besides that coming interesting i okay so and maybe that's just you know when you read you just imagine things and i imagined an old woman how fascinating (laughs) um but yeah i so the rules uh, i'm gonna start with the rules because i have you have thoughts very specific opinions about time travel in fiction okay Um, and uh, oh, I'm excited. Okay. Uh, no, I got into this conversation with Leah uh, when we were watching Outlander when Outlander first came out. Um, and so I had read, you know, the first two books before I started the series. Um, but uh, I got into this discussion with Leah. And sorry, I'm moving to a whole completely different book, but I, I do have a point. Um, and she kept saying, like, well, what if Claire goes back and she changes what happens? And I was like, well, there's no way that she could go back and change what happens because if she goes back in time, then she's already been there. So whatever has happened in her present means that she already did everything that she could have done. Like I I have such a hard time explaining it, but it makes perfect sense in my head. Um, And even if she goes back, so in her timeline, her going to the past is her future but it's still the past on you know the ultimate timeline which means that she's already been there even though in her experience she hasn't been there yet so whatever Mm -hmm. happened is what already happened which is why when they go into that whole no matter what you say or what you do the present will not be changed because the present is dictated by something that has already happened in the past which involves you already having gone to the past and done whatever you were going to do um another thing that i like to equate this to is that's so raven do you remember that's so raven oh i remember Um, that's so raven and i use this all the time when i talk about time travel she would have these visions of something that was going to happen so she would do everything in her power to prevent that thing from happening but everything she did actually ended up causing that thing to happen you know what i'm saying and I realize that's not time travel, that's, you know, psychic abilities, but I, I think they're related in some way, shape, or form. So, well, one could argue that psychic abilities is just the subconscious time traveling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that makes sense. Um, I, I 100% agree. Um, but so, so the rule of no matter what you say and what you do, the present will not be changed makes perfect sense to me. Well, okay, so this, I actually, I have some issues with this in regards to this book. So I agree with your understanding of time travel. That's how I understand time travel. But at one point in the book, Kazu, I believe, is like, 
we have the rule where no matter what you do in the past, it won't affect the present. And she gave the example, like if you were to go back in time and shoot somebody, then everything would align where like the ambulance would get there right in time. And like, if, if there was like some sort of situation that required a specialist, that specialist would happen to be there. Mm -hmm. So the thing that like bothered me about that snippet in the book is you are technically changing the present because then at that point, the person who was shot will have been shot. Whereas beforehand they wouldn't have been shot. So like her argument was like the person won't die, so you're not changing the present, but you are changing the present in the sense that even though the person is still alive, they have now been shot. Agree. Um, I agree. So I'm not, I was... not saying it with, it's without fault, but at the same time, um, oh shoot, I had a I had a thought as you were saying that, and then it just went out of my head. Um, <laughs> that was it's my that whole little... like. Um, that whole concept of so if you were to go back in time and kill Adolf Hitler when he was a baby somebody else would have stepped up into that role and possibly the whole same thing would have happened so yeah it would have been a different person in a different circumstance but the end result would have been the same um again because this is all subjective I don't think it's it's um it's not an easy topic to really definitively say anything about but I see where you're coming from I absolutely do but it's just like so she says yeah you might not change the present but you might change the future and like we see with Fumiko and Goro it does change the future of what they would have done but oh gosh see this is one of those things where you need visual aids of like, but I, yeah, I guess so, what I'm trying to say is like in the grand scheme like looking at the like the big picture items like Goro is still in America mm-hmm. Fumiko couldn't have done anything going back in time to change that but she has now had that conversation with Goro and she knows that Goro is planning to come back in three years mm-hmm. maybe maybe Goro was never going to come back in three years if she hadn't gone back in time and had that conversation well yeah and also she wouldn't have waited for him had she not gone back so they wouldn't have ended up married so that's why it's like it's it's so difficult to pin down because um had she not so with that conversation so her boyfriend is leaving for america to to go do his job developing video games or software I don't know I can't remember exactly what he does it's something to do with software um and it turns out he's very very insecure in their relationship and she didn't know that so her going back and having that conversation with him and saying all the things that she wished she'd said gave her the opportunity to realize that hey you know he actually does love you and he wants a future with you he just needs to do this first Mm -hmm. um and so then she's already waiting for him when he does come back. Whereas had she not gone back and talked to him, she wouldn't have been waiting for him when he comes back. So yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. It's a very, it's, it's a lie is what it is, Courtney. Fair. Let's just call it what it is. So <laughs> we're talking about this timeline and I don't know if you watched Loki, but like. Not the second season. There's two seasons now, right? Yes. Okay. But yeah, yeah the the whole the whole timeline and different branches of timelines just is completely 
insane and so maybe this is one of those cases where every time something happens we branch off into a different timeline and something different happens yeah or like on community with the darkest timeline did you ever watch community um community is the community college one right yes yes i did watch that yeah yeah that whole episode where like the the little I guess you call it the butterfly effect. That's what it is. Like the tiny little things that impact like what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but these aren't tiny things. These are big things. Like everything they go back and talk about are, well, no, I take that back. I would say Fumiko and Goro, this is a big moment just in their relationship. And then Kumi and Harai, that's a big moment for real. Um, but then like Kotaki and Fusagi and then Kai and Miki, that's, those are small moments, but emotionally i think mean more i think those for oh i forgot the names again which you one just said them for kotaki kotaki and, and fusagi yeah for them i think like the actual conversation they had wasn't like super mon- monumental but he did give um kotaki the letter oh, so that's yes that ended up having like a huge impact in the present day. And then with um, Kai and Mickey, like their conversation, um, super that emotional, was just, like you I said, but that closure. one, I think, but that one, I don't know if it was just closure, but I think it also like confirmed for Kai that she should go, fo- go through with having the baby. The baby. Cause there, yeah. there was a moment where, She's oh, like, I'm choosing right. my life or, or, sorry, my life or my daughter's life in this, in this case. So she's right. able that to go to the future. moment that I'm thinking of. Um, but like the actual conversation that they have isn't really like drastic. Like she knows, Kai knows that Mickey exists and that's like the. And then she's happy and healthy and yeah. Yeah. So like their conversation isn't huge, but the the impact of it is. Yeah. I like how they also um they started with kind of they they started with like i i don't want to minimize anybody's experience ever but it was like <laughs> a minimal issue and then it like kind of got a little bit heavier and then it got heavier and then it got like way heavier um so it it's interesting to see like what what's important to people and it might depend on their age and their life experience but like fumiko and goro i mean it's just it's such a um young adult problem to have mm-hmm. like deciding who who how you're going to spend your life and who you're going to spend it with and then getting to like Kotaki and Fusagi that one got me the most that was a really I I, I felt a lot of things in their story <laughs> mm-hmm. um and then yeah it it, it just it, it's almost like the the stakes got higher as we went on it is like the contrast between um, Fusagi's situation and also just like how dramatic she is about the whole, like the fact that when she goes back to the cafe a week later and she's like throwing herself on the table, like the most dramatic possible I know <laughs> reaction. Um, and she's just like, I want to see what my boyfriend would have said if I had express my feelings to like hey i'm i'm gonna for sure die from childbirth let me just see my daughter like yeah Yeah. it's definitely like the uh the gravity of the situation but also like how the characters are 
reacting to their situation just it keep it goes from one end of the scale to the other but yeah and it, it all goes back to like everybody's experience is so relative mm-hmm. um in Fumiko's mind losing her boyfriend is the most drastic heartbreaking thing for her whereas when we get all the way down to Kai it's like like you said I either have to preserve my own life or choose to bring a child into the world at the risk of me not being here and then she finds out that she's not going to be there and she's basically setting herself up to die mm-hmm. so yeah it's it, it, I think that just speaks to the relativity of everybody's lived experience yeah I I have a lot of respect for the author because just like in my minimal amount of creative writing trying to have characters deal with super extreme super grave depressing things is really challenging like Mm -hmm. to to not make a mockery of it I guess and I think he did really well with addressing like he he dealt with um Alzheimer's he dealt with uh accidental deaths he dealt with um to your point, not to minimize anybody's experience, he he dealt with somebody's partner moving to another country unexpectedly, um, and then somebody facing their life versus their child's life. Like he he deals with pretty major things, but he doesn't. It doesn't seem gimmicky, like how the no. characters are responding to those situations. And I it's that was that was really amazing. Well, even like. Um... Fumiko's thing um perspective like it it didn't yeah it didn't seem and nobody um treated it as like oh this is just a little girl's problem Mm -hmm. which is nice because yeah we all deal with things differently and we all have different experiences um but no I I so what I was thinking when when you were saying that I didn't realize that the author was uh, a man until like two or three days ago. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Which is very interesting because all of the people that time travel are women. And I always <sighs> appreciate when a an author can write from the other sex or gender's perspective and it be believable and I didn't question it. Um, and that's why I love... Well, so forgive me, I'm not super familiar with what are deemed male and female names in Japanese, but that's why I love like when authors have kind of androgynous names or pen names, because then I, I don't know, I don't go in with any perspective. Um, uh, one of my favorite books uh, I did not realize was written by a woman. And the first, the first book of the series is written completely from a male's perspective. And I didn't realize it was written by a woman the entire time. So I do appreciate that. Like, this man wrote from four primary female perspectives. I mean, obviously it's, what is that third person omniscient? So we know what all of the male characters are thinking and feeling too, but all of the time travelers are female. I had not even had that realization. And the ghost too is a female. Yep. That's fascinating. Which, sorry, I'm jumping around again. I, I promised myself I would be more organized this time, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> I love it. I Thank want you. to know, there are three additional books in this series right now, and I have not read any of them. I want to know if we ever get to her perspective. 
because I, I would so like to know why yeah. she's there and why mm-hmm. she didn't finish her coffee because that, and, and then what also happens if somebody else is, doesn't finish their coffee and they become the ghost, what happens to the previous ghost? Yeah. I, I would love to know that. I have no idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very curious about that. I have a theory that um, she went back in time to visit a loved one who passed away and she stuck back in time for too long. And that's when they started doing the temperature alarm thing for mm-hmm. lost, lost loved ones. That's the theory that I have, but I, I just finished the book today so well and that would make sense because when harai goes back to talk to kumi on Mm -hmm. literally the day that she dies um she's the one who of of the entire book that that we read is the one that almost doesn't come back Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah she was like i don't even want to come back yeah yeah and it takes i can't remember if it's kai or kazu who is there like reminding her like hey you need to like finish this up because you just made a promise that you need to keep Mm-hmm. yeah i think it was kai because okay. yeah because because uh harai was like like i don't see any point in going back like my sisters did like what do i have to go back for and then kai makes the point yeah like hey you can make a difference you can keep this promise to your sister like you do have a reason to go back but i was also at the same time really excited to see somebody turn into a ghost just to understand what happens yeah and so i'm hoping i I haven't read any of the other books yet but i'm hoping one of the future books um explains that i also want to know more about kazu i want to be best friends with kai well she's dead so you can't oh also she's not real (laughs) she's fictional too Um, (laughs) i like how you you went with a version of reality and i went with a different version of reality there hey man when you get in a book these characters are real dude Um, facts facts Facts. yeah um but okay so i i I do want to talk about um kotaki and fusagi because that one killed me that was the one I had the the hardest time with. And I don't know if it's... No, I do know. I, I, I do know why I had the hardest time with it. Um, I don't know if you've ever known somebody that's had Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I think the difference... So obviously Fumiko had um, Goro coming back to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, for both Hurai and Kai, I think the conversations were for closure more than anything else because they knew well in her eyes case she knew kumi was going to die no matter what right um, so that was a closure conversation and in kai's case like like you said she knew that miki was going to be born and be healthy so she, that was closure for her to know that she was okay with dying to bring her child into this world but with kotake and fusagi i mean god damn like alzheimer's and dementia are just so tragic um because i think that's a different type of grief that you have to go through um because the person that you love is still there and you're still interacting with them but they just have no concept of who you are you get little glimpses of of who they were but they're just not it's not even it's not like somebody choosing to leave you and it's not like somebody dying. Like those things I think are easier to have closure with than somebody literally just forgetting. Mm-hmm. 
And especially when it's like your husband who you built a life with and all of a sudden they have no clue who you are anymore. Um, that was just, that ripped my heart out. That was heartbreaking. And for him to know that that was what was going to happen and not say anything or well, he had the intention of saying something, which is what the letter was for, but um, not saying anything to her, I guess, like chickening out essentially was just so sad. And then when she actually read the letter that said, Hey, I don't want you to stick around in this relationship just to take care of me. I, if you're going to be with me, I want it to be as my wife, not as my nurse. And I mean, that changed her whole outlook and her perspective on how she, she dealt with him after that. But, um, good Lord, like that's just, it's it, again, I've said the same word in, in it a million times, but just absolutely heartbreaking. What I, what I did enjoy about their story and about her going back is it gave her, um, so, like, before she travels back in time, she has everybody calling her by her maiden name. Yeah. And I'd like to – I'm going to briefly take us for a little visit to Megan's frustrations. Um, the fact that – so, like, in Japan, my understanding is it's last name and first name is how people are – their names are written. And mm-hmm. in the book, people keep – being called by their last name so like Ko- uh, kosaki kosaki kotaki kotaki jeez <laughs> my short-term memory is fantastic don't even i wrote them down me. so i would remember <laughs> um so kotaki is her last name and it's her maiden name last name mm-hmm. so when fusagi is starting to deal with symptoms of his dementia um, she asked everybody to call her by her maiden name, Kotaki. But then after she goes on her time travel adventure, she's like, screw that. I'm his wife. You guys can start calling me Mrs. Fusagi. Mm-hmm. Or I don't like, but we don't actually, I think like it's one point we find out her first name, but we're not actually calling her by her first name. We're calling her by her last name. And that convention Confused. And I think that's another, like I said, what I said at the beginning, a struggle with just the translation. We just, mm-hmm. we have a different language structure. Yeah. And so it's, it's harder to comprehend, I think. Yeah. But, but back to the not name frustration point is I did appreciate, and I did really love how after she came back, she was like, I'm, I'm not going to be sad about this, or I'm not going to stop living my life with my husband because of this this Mm -hmm. situation she was like I am his wife um and the fact like at one point she like goes and sits down at the table and she's like I'm your wife and he's like um do I know you and she's like yeah I'm your wife and he's like hey Kazu can you help me this woman is strange (laughs) yeah (laughs) and Kotaki is just like la 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 I think that's fantastic yeah, but I also like that. So she she latched on to the thing that he was fascinated with, fascinated with, which is the gardens that they visited, mm-hmm. and yeah. so she could provide a story behind it. Um, and that's what they always tell you to do with somebody that um, has Alzheimer's or dementia. Dementia, you don't want to be like, "Hey, no, remember this is what it is," and 
um, unfortunately, my grandmother did that with my grandfather. She was like, you don't remember this? And I was like, <laughs> Grandma, stop. Like, he clearly doesn't remember this. And I know it sucks, but this is where we are. You just have to latch on to the things that they do remember. Yeah. And for him, it was remembering the garden. So she was like, great. Let me tell you a story about this garden. We went there together. And, and she kind of would just express everything like it, it was brand new information mm-hmm. as opposed to being shaming him for not remembering. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, but like, I, I did like how it seemed like before she was kind of um, walking on eggshells, right? That's the expression, like walking yeah. on eggshells with him because of the dementia. And then after going back in time, she, she is more willing to like work with him, I guess, instead of just like accepting accepting the situation and being like sad about it or being like reserved to being his nurse for forever she's like I'm I'm going to treat this person like he's my husband because he is my husband and I still want to have like good times with him and they are able to have good good times and good conversations so I I really appreciate that and I think there was one point there was one point because I remember this was this is like the second to last page when Kai comes back or when she's about to come back she said um the present hadn't changed but these two people had and just that one line like the, the actual like the circumstances of the present day don't change by time traveling but the people who time travel their mindset changes yeah I thought that was super powerful 100 I yeah I completely agree because it, it did and him giving her permission to leave him was I think all the the motivation she needed and just mm-hmm. knowing like him his his wishes were not for her to be his nurse because she is a nurse by trade um but not to be his nurse and he didn't want to be treated as her patient or her ward is that a word that we still use I don't know um her <laughs> charge um, he didn't want her to treat him like she was his nurse he wanted to if if she couldn't continue treating him like he was her husband he gave her permission to leave and Mm -hmm. i think that was all the the fuel she needed to make that decision and say no um you want me to be your wife i'll be your wife yeah yeah whether or not you remember it (laughs) (laughs) i i do imagine though like some I guess like healthcare providers when they read that they're like this is not it's like um 51st dates when he's like hey honey by the way um you had a whole baby and also you're married and we live on a boat it's like oh my gosh that's yeah intense to wake up to and not remember (laughs) and then find out well Um, I think it helps that she didn't just bombard him with that information every day she I think she kind of just went with how the day was going yeah that's true but I just his reaction his reaction while comical I feel like some people would be like that's you you shouldn't do that lady but yeah I did I did enjoy their story and I thought it was really cute I've moved on in my brain I'm sorry but I thought it was really cute how Miki came back and got a picture with her mom yeah and Kai well, was just like, oh, for sure, I'll totally take a picture with you. Because she thought it was just like, a, oh, people from the future know about us, so they're coming back because we're popular. Yeah, um, that was cute. Well, and so um, moving on to Miki and Kai, uh, 
teenage girls. Mm -hmm. Tell me about you got an underdeveloped brain. You don't really know how to like deal with things emotionally, maybe as well as you would if you were older. So when she goes back to visit her, like Mickey's very aware that, Hey, your mother's going to come or sorry, goes to the future to visit her. Your mother's going to come here and um, you're going to get to meet her. Uh, And, but she's so shy, but again, she's a teenage girl. So it makes sense that she would be shy. Um, And, and also just the, the timing, I think she intended to go there when Mickey was 10, but ended up there when she was 15. Um, So perhaps Mickey was feeling slighted that she didn't show up when she was 10. And then all of a sudden, like on a day she was not prepared for at all, her mom shows up because she just kind of avoids her in the back for a little bit. Um, but I think as she got a little older, she was like, wait, I have the opportunity to do this as well. So let me go back now that I'm prepared for it and talk to her. The problem was Kai had no idea who she was at that point. And she didn't bother explaining because again, I think she was still a teenage girl at that point. Which is odd. Like the fact that she chose that age, excuse me, to go back and visit Kai because we find out when, um, Fumiko... Fumiko, right? That's her name. Yep, Fumiko. Um, she's staring at the ghost, and she's like, "Can we go to the future?" Like when that whole conversation happens, Kazu in her internal monologue is like, "Well, you can only time travel once." Like that's yeah. one of the rules that they don't really advertise. So Kai, sorry, Miki, I'm not going to say waste because that seems rude, but she uses up her one time travel visit when she's. 18 ish like you would think like maybe she would do that when she's like on the brink of motherhood or like she's she's maybe like developed more or something like the I feel like there had to have been some intention from the author with bringing her back at that age but I don't understand what that would be um I think my only potential answer would be that I mean she's still young it's just like well like you said the there's they don't really advertise that you can only do it once but would fumiko knowing that she could only time travel once have done it when she did she's in her early 20s um wouldn't she have waited perhaps until she was older to do the same thing but i think all you can really chalk that up to is just where your brain is in that moment and what's important to you at that time um and her being, you know, an 18-year-old girl, that was what was most important to her at, at that time. And she wasn't necessarily thinking about the future, like, do I want to show her this? It's just that that impulsive decision of, no, this is when I need to do this. It's now. But she, more than anyone, well, because she ends up working at the cafe and she takes Kazu's role as pouring the, or sorry, yeah, role as the tea, or not the tea, cheese, my brain coffee Coffee for (laughs) because the book is about coffee and not tea um which is another wild thing i I, yeah based off of japanese culture and how important like tea is in japanese culture it is baffling to me that it's coffee of all things but maybe that's what makes it special i did also think this is totally another conversation turn um I thought it was interesting how there was a portion of the book devoted just to how 
each cafe worker has a different way of making coffee. Like Kai, she just uses the automated, like she presses a button and the coffee's made. And then Kazu has like a siphon situation. And then um, I don't remember the cafe owner's name again. Nagari. Nagari. Yeah, he has, uh, I don't remember his situation, but it, it was interesting how uh, different the degrees of intricacy for making coffee varied based off of the person. I don't know what that means. I didn't even really think about that, but yeah, that's true. And maybe, again, I, I, I fully plan on reading the other books in the series. I just haven't gotten there yet, but maybe it's just comes down to like it's most powerful and at its best when you feel most comfortable making it like play to your strengths type deal Mm -hmm. well I think so for Kazu I remember I'm trying to find the section in the book but I remember Kazu says or Kazu hold on here's my brain working Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of it Oh, okay. So the explanation for why Kazu liked the siphon method is because she liked the sounds that it made and she liked the process of watching it. Um, Kai, I think, just like based off her personality, she she was very like short attention span. Mm-hmm. So I think hers was just like, this is all you're going to get from me before I get distracted. But I don't remember... I wish I could find what Nagari's method is because I guess maybe because he has, he's, he's a very guarded person as far as his emotions. Like yes. Kai can read his emotions. Like when his, when, you know what? I'm going to let you take over for a second. Cause my brain's clearly no. shutting down. <laughs> no, you're fine. You, you had a big day. Um, Did I have a big day? I, you, I mean, you're coming fresh off of an exam. So it's okay. You you used all of your brain power on your test. It was an eye exam. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I thought you were taking an exam for school. My bad. No, no. I was just getting <laughs> my eyes checked. Well, you used all your brain power on your <laughs> eye exam. <laughs> it's reading all of those letters, Courtney. It's so hey. hard. Well, you read a lot after you read a lot, so it makes sense. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so Nagari, it's funny. So again, I went back and read the reviews and a lot of people were very offended by the fact that Nagari wasn't going to um, the the OBGYN appointments with Kai. And Mm -hmm. he was like, oh, that's a woman's place and everything. But again, I want to harken back to this is a cultural difference. And this book was written by a Japanese author in Japan. So that just might be how thing i don't i don't claim to be an expert on japanese culture whatsoever but that's i think that's just a cultural difference so um justice for nagare uh <laughs> he's not that justice bad for <laughs> he's not that bad he's also i think deeply concerned because um kai has a lot of heart issues which is why her getting pregnant in the first place was a big um kind of risk And uh, sometimes when people that you love are taking risks that you don't necessarily agree with, you don't always support them in the right way. And I think that is the case for Nagari, is that he knew that this 
could potentially be the end of his wife's life if she chose to do this. Did he want a child? Yes, I'm sure he did. But he didn't want to lose his wife in the process. So I think that is why he refused to maybe be there through all the steps. Well, I think for the baby situation specifically, I think he recognized, like, even if he did want a baby, even if he did want his wife to live over having a baby, it wasn't his choice. Like, it's his wife's body. It's not his body. Like, so Mm -hmm. I think in that sense, he was being incredibly respectful of the fact that she's the one with the condition. She knows what her limits are. She she gets to make that choice. And there is a part, it's handy because I have the book. So there's a part where he says um, he had told Kai that he was against their having the baby, but that was as far as he would go. He could say neither don't have it nor I want you to have it. He couldn't choose between them, choosing Kai over the baby or choosing the baby over Kai. So he, I think he couldn't make the choice, but I think he also recognized like he shouldn't make the choice. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as, like, not going to the OBGYN appointments, like, I feel like even in America, maybe 50% of dads go to the appointments with their partners. I feel yeah. like that's usually, like, a mom thing. Yeah, I think I think times are changing, but no, I, I would believe that. I would absolutely believe that. I'm sad people were going after Nagare, though. I know. I was like, people were really going after Nagari, and I was like, leave him alone. <laughs> He's in a tough position where he doesn't really have a say and he can't do anything. <laughs> and like, we know that he cares deeply about Kai. Like when, oh, yeah. when she's not doing well physically, like when she, when she's like turning bluish, he's so anxious. He makes like a whole counter of paper cranes or something. Like he definitely is uh concerned but i think he recognizes like where his place is as far as like yeah. what he's allowed to decide yeah for and then also some people are just inherently reserved and mm-hmm. everybody deals with anxiety differently but there there were a couple of times and i can't find them but he nagari was just like not seeming to react but kai could look at him and be like oh he's He's feeling sadness right now. Like, she could read him better than anybody else because she knew him so well. Yeah. But it wasn't that he didn't have feelings or that he wasn't emotional. It's just how he portrayed his emotions was a lot more reserved than uh, Fumiko, for example. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and I mean, that could harken back to different ages, too. Like, Fumiko's probably a good... 10 15 years younger than nagari and kai were mm-hmm. and just again times are changing and people aren't i think people of past cultures felt that they had to be more reserved than they do in more current cultures so do you think because this was published in 2015 i believe so mm-hmm. do you think this is set earlier than 2015 they don't actually say, which is interesting. And I 
because I read it earlier, I believe the cafe has been around since 1874. It's definitely the 1800s, like late yeah, it was 1800s. late 1800s. And yeah. it's been around for a long time. And people, like, if you're in the know, you're in the know. Um, and also when Miki comes back, she's taking a picture with a cell phone. So I would guess, and so she's what, uh, we said 18 at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So I would guess it's probably our quote unquote present day is probably the early 2000s, maybe the late 90s. That's my but, best guess. So we do know that um, cell phones exist because Nagari has one and he's able to check his email on it. Oh, I missed that. Okay. So yeah, I'm going to say early 2000s then is probably my best bet because like, um, Blackberries were a thing when I was in college, and I went to college in the mid to late 2000s, so that checks okay. out my brain. I'm thinking I'm thinking that it was written where present day was 2015 is, is how I read it. So I guess okay. the reason why I'm trying to frame the, the time setting is you were saying, Ooh. like, the times they are changing. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out like if that's no, that's a good point because Goro is going to America to be part of a software development company, and I feel like yeah, no, that would make sense. But although, I... then like to to agree that's with you and then counter my argument, like video games have been around since like the sixty or seventy eighties. I don't know if he actually went back to make video games. I might have just applied that from my own brain. No, I'm pretty sure he did because I remember he said his, like, uncle or cousin's company had, like, really high standards. So you had to have three years of experience developing for medical devices before you could move over to the game development because they didn't want any bugs. Interesting. Like, when you deploy things, you shouldn't have any bugs. I'm pretty sure it was, like, their big thing. Um, So does that change your... So you were saying, like, um, times are changing, so, like, things are different than how they might have been in this book. Does that change your perspective at all? Considering so for that going it- in 2015 and assuming that at that time um, Nagari is probably in his 30s? Yeah, we'll say my- late 30s, short. Yeah. yeah, mid to late 30s. So... I mean, I feel like that checks out because that would put him in his 40s now. That gives him about 10 years on me. More like 20. You're, you're right. so young. I'm so young. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, and there's also, like you were saying, like there are cultural differences. Like we're reading this as white female Americans yeah. in 2024. So like our understanding of the culture and our understanding of that time in that culture isn't going to be totally accurate yes agreed which is that's one of the things i appreciate about books is that we can get some insight but then also like we're coming at it from our perspective and it seems to i want to say confuddle but that's not a word I don't think but it feels like the appropriate word even if it's not a real word I think we can all glean the context from that 
wheat. I feel like Shakespeare. You are like Shakespeare. Thank you. It's the hair and the and the facial hair. Yes. You're a good, you're a good pal. <laughs> <laughs> um but I that's also I think um one of the the fun ambu- ambiguities that happens when you have a book that doesn't specify the time that it takes place in. I mean, we can we can take context clues and kind of estimate, but like when a book specifically says like this is the year we can apply, all right, this is the mentality of that year. But me reading this book, so I read it last year, which was 2023, which is eight years after it was originally published. A lot happened in eight years Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of strides were made. So me reading it as if it's present day right now, um, just because there are no specifications on what the year is, it's easy to apply my current day perspective to that as opposed to if it specifically said like, Oh, this takes place in 1990. I could put Mm -hmm. my brain in a 1990 mode and go from there. But because there's no specific year, I I think readers are inclined to put current day perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. Unless it's like um, today I took my horse and carriage to the mill or I guess people can still do that I mean in Pennsylvania they can yeah I'm sure anywhere they can if they have a mill and a horse and carriage I'm just thinking of the large Amish population in Pennsylvania I'm thinking about my hopes and dreams (laughs) (laughs) just kidding (laughs) um did you have a favorite character um favorite character um, I appreciate Harai, um, which I guess we haven't really talked about Harai and Kumi all that much, but I, I, I love that Harai's response to her traditional familial du- duties, which was to, you know, take over the family business of the inn. And she said, I don't want to do that. And so she went off to Tokyo and opened a late night snack bar, which is just kind of the greatest business on the planet. Yeah, the uh, fact that that's a thing that you can go to Tokyo and do. Yeah, it's like, it, it's not a it's not a bar; it's a snack bar. Like you can go and just get snacks in the middle of the night, and I I, I love that, and I love that she just was like, "I'm going to go completely against what my family wants and um, do what I want to do, and this is it." Um, although after talking to Kumi, she does give that up and and go back to to run the family in and make amends with her parents. Um, so I, I did appreciate Harai a lot. And, um, I just, again, I'm fascinated with Kazu and I want to know more about her because she was such an integral character, but we didn't know that much about who she is. Yeah. Just at the very end, I think in the husband and wife section, so like the last section, uh, we find out that she's going to, um, university for like art school or something and she mm-hmm. and she does uh hyper realistic drawings for school like and this is something that we find out like as a little sneaky tidbit at the end whereas like she she is integral but she seems like such a like a flat character for most of the book like she, she's almost a set piece yeah like yeah she's she's there to the um move other people's stories along 
which is same with the ghost. Like they're both there to move the other character stories along. And I, I, I find myself wanting to know more about them. Both of them. Yeah. Sneaky, sneaky Kawaguchi. Mm-hmm. I looked at the cover. <laughs> um, so Harai was your favorite. I, the thing that frustrated me about Harai was she was like, I don't want to run the end. I'm going to, sorry, N. I'm going to run away. Oh, yeah. my sister's nagging me because she doesn't want to run the end, but I don't want to run the end, so now it's her fault. But I feel a little bit guilty, but I don't want to feel guilty, so I'm not going to feel guilty. And it's just, that so, part of her frustrated me. I get that. And I I keep going back to just, like, human nature. Um, I think she felt so shunned by her family um, because of the choices that she made. And... Um, Again, this might this might be a cultural difference. Um, I think when you go against your family, there's a lot at stake, and it did frustrate me that she would not talk to Kumi. Like Kumi kept coming to visit her and kept coming to talk to her, and she kept refusing. And that was extremely frustrating to me that she wouldn't just go and talk to her. Like, what's the harm in going out and saying hi? So like, she's tried actually... so many times to come visit you, and you say no every time. You go hide. I am confused about that, too, because she says at the beginning that when Kumi first started doing that, she would meet up with her, and it would be exactly how she expected. Like, Kumi was like, please come back to the end, like, blah, 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 Um, And then she got to the point where she was like, I don't want to hear this anymore, so I'm going to stop doing it. But at no point, Kumi says, hey, I want you to come back to the end because I want us to run it together. That part I found very hard to believe, that Kumi never brought that up. In, in the times where Harai was actually accepting her visits. Fair. That also might have been... See, I'm just making excuses for characters at this point. That might have been <sighs> something that Kumi realized <sighs> later. Well, you mm-hmm. know, people are people. Um, and there are plenty of things where I was very, very against for so long and maybe harbored some anger and resentment over and then later decided, no, no, I want to fix this. But turns out that bridge has already been burned, which I think is what Harai felt with Kumi. Like Kumi's already burned that bridge. She's already told me so many times what she wants me to do and I'm not going to do it. So anytime she comes here, it's going to be the same conversation. And, -hmm. you know, when you get hit with the same thing from somebody over and over again, it's hard to believe that it's hard to believe in your soul that they might want something different. Yeah. And they might say something different just because of past experience. It's like, um, if you've got a little kid that lies to you all the time and it's that, that boy who cried wolf situation. No, why am I going to talk to this kid again? He's been lying to me the entire time, but he might've had a realization. Well, in his case, something real did happen, but she might've had a realization in her life that, Hey, Maybe I can win her back over if I go in and talk to her. But at that point, she'd already burned the bridge and Harai didn't want to talk to her at all. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. All right. I accept your explanation. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm just ascribing humanity to people at this point. I'm, I'm very forgiving of fictional characters. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm, I'm always like, okay, yeah, no, this might be the case. I think I'm the exact opposite. I get so frustrated with fictional characters. I feel like 
and I think I said this maybe two episodes ago, but I feel like I'm just really frustrated about every book I read all the time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, why are you making these choices? You know, yeah. it's like absolutely the most hilarious thing about this conversation that we're having to me is that like you are so forgiving of real people, whereas <laughs> I am not. But I'm forgiving of fictional characters, whereas you are not. And it's just it's it's honestly really amusing to me right now wow hot take (laughs) (sighs) tell me you're not you're forgiving of real people now that we've delved into my psyche (sighs) do you think you would travel through time to talk to somebody so i would like to say yes But I think I, being the person that I am, which is um, indecisive and anxious, would be so overwhelmed with what's the right moment to choose Mm -hmm. that I would never actually um, do it. What do they call that? Um, Paralysis by indecision or something like that? Decision paralysis? Sure. There's an actual word and I can't remember what it is, but... It's where you just, you get so afraid to make a decision that you don't actually do anything. And I do that so much in my real life. I'm trying not to do it so much, but I feel like that's what would happen is I would probably get to like my deathbed and be like, huh, I should have just picked a moment. So the interwebs says that decision paralysis can be described as having such a tough time choosing between action A or B that we pick action C or do nothing at all. Does that feel like you? Yes. Yeah. I think that's what I would end up doing because I like to believe that I would be able to pick a time and say, this is it. I need to go do it. But I don't think that I would because in my mind, there's always going to be like, well, what if something happens and I need to do it then? There is the nice constraint in this book though, where it has to be a time where somebody has been in the cafe. Yes. So like with, Kotaki when she's visiting Fusagi there's like a million possibilities for when she could visit him yeah because they went there like every day together well and Fusagi like goes there seemingly like constantly because he's trying to get in this I think it's I think he might have said in the or it might have said in the book that he goes every three to four days or something yeah so yeah like she had tons of opportunities but there was only you only had the option of visiting somebody in the cafe. So I think that was nice, a nice device because people can't, you can't like go back and visit Marilyn Monroe. Um, You have to visit somebody who's been to the cafe. But with like Kotaki's issue, it was um, you have to pick the right time. Mm -hmm. So she had to go back with just enough time because she knew somebody knew about the letter that he never gave her. And maybe it was Kai or Kazu. I can't remember which one knew. Or maybe Mm -hmm. it was Nagari. But somebody knew about the letter. So she had to figure out when he would have known about his disease before the disease had consumed him. So I think she had the hardest time of picking where she needed to go. So like with Fumiko and Goro, she knew exactly where she needed to go. She needed to go to that conversation where he was leaving, which happened in the cafe. She knew exactly when she needed to go Um, with Kumi and Harai knew exactly where she needed to go. She needed to go to that time right before Kumi left and got into the car accident. Um, 
Kai and Miki had, I guess, a little bit more leeway because she just wanted to see her. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kotake needed to find the exact specific time to get back. But she didn't know what that time was. So I think that's why she had to focus on like the idea. It's like it's like the flu powder in Harry Potter. Like you have to know exactly where you're going in your mind to get there. And she didn't have that, but she happened upon it. At first, I thought you were going to say, it's like the flu. (laughs) (laughs) And I was trying, before you got to powder, my brain was like, how could it possibly be like the flu? (laughs) I'm so glad you finished your sentence before I said anything. Um, No, yeah, I did appreciate and I respected the time travel magic that she was able to have like a concept of that like she didn't need an exact date and exact time she just needed like he needs to have started showing symptoms so that he will write the letter but it has to be before he's forgotten me yeah so I think it was cool that like she was brought to and it had to be when he would be carrying the letter with him so it was like briefcase or whatever it was with him yeah so it's cool that like it it brought her to the appropriate time um like with Fumiko, though, like there was only one option for when she could visit. So that one, I don't know. I, I did, it was cool. But the reason I was bringing that up is I think like if you were to go back in time, it would, you would only be able to see people that you would go to a coffee shop with. So it would have to be me or Amanda or maybe Leah. So if that's the case, would you go back in time? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Let's the see. answer is a hard no. <laughs> trying to think of when we've gone to a coffee shop and something serious needed to be discussed. And I don't think that's happened. Yeah. So, so you as can, of you can now reserve your right. life. Mm-hmm. No, okay. that would not happen. But I can't say that that wouldn't happen in the future. Right. Right. What about you? You have to answer it too. I think I wouldn't My podcast, do it. No. <laughs> um, I wouldn't do it right now, but I think it would be cool to like reserve the right to uh, like when I'm hopefully still alive in my 60s and you guys hopefully are also still alive. I can go back to a moment when we've visited somewhere um, where one of us has done something embarrassing and I can just relive that moment or relive like the aftershock of that moment. Like, Hey Megan, remember yesterday when you face planted <laughs> and I can have that like joy again. Cause hopefully when I'm in my sixties, I'm not face planning. Cause that means I'm probably breaking bones. Um, so I think I would, I would want to go like, if I didn't have any like serious thing to go back for, I would want to go back but when I'm older, so I can have like a like a nice fresh memory recap. Just for the lulls. Just for the lulls, yeah. Yeah, this was the that one time that we went to that tea shop and we had tea. Maybe I would go back to that <laughs> just to like have a good time. When um they had the clotted cream or whatever it's called. Okay. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> oh. That's that's kidding. not the part you want to relive. I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh dang and that one work either way because that's a that's a tea shop not a coffee shop okay well 
Actually, I don't, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know that we've ever, No, we've... all of us drink coffee, but I don't think we've ever been to a coffee shop, the three of us together. No, because I make my coffee at home. Because you're better than the rest of us. I get it. I Listen. Get it. I'm listening. I'm going to say this. Starbucks okay. coffee is shit. Stop spending your money there. I don't know if you do, but for anybody who's listening, Starbucks coffee is shit. Okay, so this has been my life hack recently, actually. So what I've been doing, everybody uh, listening, this is also for you. <clears throat> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so I have hazelnut flavored almond milk creamer. I Ooh. put that in my coffee cup. Uh, I go to Dunkin'. I do a mobile order. I do a double shot of espresso. I take the espresso. I pour it into my coffee cup. And it's like the perfect temperature where I can just guzzle it down. And I'm getting the perfect sweetness from the creamer mm-hmm. and i'm getting just the right amount of anxiety from the espresso hell yeah yeah it's honestly it's perfect so tyler randomly oh it was the snow day because he wanted me to make breakfast so he went out and he bought breakfast ingredients but he brought back um coffee creamer and it was because uh, we drink black coffee just normally but Ugh. it was salted caramel brownie coffee creamer oh hello and I was like all right yeah it's a snow day let's let's go for it and it was so good and he goes yep I'm a creamer guy <laughs> and then, and I always then, knew that about him but I started I have like a little milk frother that I got with something and I basically just use it to mix things um but I decided to whip my um creamer and then oh. pour my coffee in it and so I had this nice little layer of um, salted caramel brownie foam on top and it was fantastic that sounds so fancy wow it was it was super fancy it's not actually fancy it sounds pretty fancy any but it was delicious frother is fancy in my opinion <laughs> wow okay wow. so harai was your favorite did you have a least favorite character um no, but I think my least favorite story was Kumiko and Goros, just because I think where where I'm at in my my life now, I think, you know, 10 years ago, that story probably would have hit harder with me. But where I'm at with my life, it's not it's not as much of a a big deal. And she was just so concerned about their relationship. And honestly, the issues in their relationship were because they weren't communicating their real feelings with each other. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's a something that comes with age but so yeah not I didn't dislike the characters but Fumiko and Goro's story were was my least favorite I did have some issue with well okay so one there's like the cultural perspective like maybe speculating but maybe like communication isn't huge in Japan in relationships but I did have a lot of issue with the fact that Goro was like hey by the way I got this job in America and I'm leaving in a few hours yeah Um, this is how I'm telling you okay bye goodbye yeah you didn't even give give her a chance to think yeah that was absolute and the fact that he was like oh I'm actually running late and uh okay like that People like need that. to be able to sleep on big news. Yeah. yeah. Like, people need to be able to sleep on it. You can't just bombard somebody with something huge and expect them to have the exact perfect answer. And the fact, too, that they, I think they had been together 
I know that he was, was going to be years. coming back in three years. Yeah, but he, I thought they were together for three years, and then he was going to be gone for three years is what we end up finding out. But, like, if, again, this is me as an American woman. Like, if I were in a relationship with someone for three years and I was in the process of applying for the job, I would be like, hey, honey, just letting you know that I'm I'm doing it now. That thing that I was telling you I want to do, I'm doing it. So I might be moving to America soon. Yeah. Like that- and then when you get it, say, hey, I got this. Can we talk about it? Because no job is going to make you move out there the next day. Right. Yeah. So there was like months potentially where he was just like doing all of this and not telling her about it. Yeah. Which so- do you really want to marry that guy? I don't know. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I would do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm not kidding. I don't know. Yikes. Um, yeah, I I didn't. There wasn't any character that I hated, but I definitely mm-hmm. thought that Goro was not cool for that. Yeah. Well, and I think that harkens back to like people's um, kind of indifference or dislike is there's there's no hero and there's no villain. Mm-hmm. And it's not action based. It's just um, it's. I don't want to say it's a slice of life book, but it it is in a way. And, you know, I just realized having this conversation about this part of the book, you were saying like we find out that they end up getting married. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't remember that happening. And then I only just now realized that when uh, oh, Kay, Kai, when Kai oh. goes to the future and she's talking to the guy with the scar that's Goro yes I only (laughs) just made that connection (laughs) I'm proud Uh, of you you got there thanks thanks yeah I critical thinking and general brain function are are good for me today I'm proud of you yeah I'm killing it wow Okay. I did have one last thing that I want to talk about. So there a couple of times throughout the book, there's emphasis on the fact that the cafes named Fusili Fusilla. Funicula Funicula. Thank God. I, okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, so it's Fumiko and I think it's um, Kotaki who bring it up like, oh, that's a song that I used to know. I had no idea what this song was, and I had to look it up. And the tune ended up being familiar, but I've already forgotten it from my brain. But this that song was not a thing that I was super, super familiar with. Was that a song that you were super, super familiar with? No, and now I feel like I have to look it up, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it right now. So it's an Italian song. I believe it's an, it's an opera song uh, in Italian. I believe it's Italian. But it's about... Um, riding a mountainside cable car to the top of a mountain. It's like a couple riding to the top of a mountain in this cable car. That's the the premise oh, of the cute. song. Interesting. Um, so I, one, I was like, don't know what song they're talking about. But two, I was like, I don't really understand what the name, the name is obviously important because it's emphasized twice. I don't get how it relates to the theme of the book at all. So are are you looking up the song right now? No, but I'm going based off of what you said. So if we take it and we make it to where 
besides being a couple, it's just a couple of people and they're riding to a top of the mountain. Maybe the mountain is life and it's just about oh. life's journey. Hold on. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I That's wasn't expecting guess. all of that. <laughs> That's my best guess. Um, life is a highway, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to ride it all night long. Yeah, you are. um but no that's that's my best guess is that's a journey we're climbing uphill oh it's sorry it's a volcano oh they're riding up a volcano riding up a volcano and once you get to the top you die i don't know if that's exactly how it is but i i can understand uh yeah their life is a highway i yeah that resonated i guess okay do you feel like it was like am i overemphasizing the emphasis and no i'm sure it has it it has a meaning um and i'm gonna be honest i didn't even think to look up the song and i was just like all right cool it's a song and i moved past it um but now i'm gonna go maybe look up the lyrics in like a translation of some sort i'll send it to you I've got it pulled up, but I didn't even know what a funicular is. I had to look like once I, because the oh, trans- sorry, the I was trans- asking. It was like if it's in Italy, is it Vesuvius? And it is. So oh. yeah, that just means impending doom, <laughs> which is life, oh. baby. But it's the translation is for the funicula fun- funiculi funicula. It's funicular up, funicular down. I didn't realize that funicular that that is the cable side ma- cable. Hold on, mountain yeah, side cable like car. Yeah, it's kind of a, a train that just goes up a mountain. Yeah, I was that a word that was in your vocabulary because that was not in my vocabulary. It was only because when I was planning my trip to Norway, there's a funicular in Bergen that goes to the top, so I, I was only familiar with it because I was planning a trip and I was going to do that on said trip. Okay. Yeah, I just feel like there was this like really like niche knowledge that you would need to have for the cafe name to make sense and and I that took me out of the story I guess a little bit that might be more of a concept outside of the U.S. where we have horrible public transportation Mm. yeah 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 rip (laughs) although if I'm thinking about it I think there is one where I grew up in Colorado that goes up or was that just a train? I'm trying to go back to my like eight year old memories. Um, not like eight years ago, but when I was eight years old. Um, and I think there was like a cable car type deal that went up the Rocky Mountains to Pikes Peak, but I'm not positive. It might have just been a train that we rode. But yeah, a, a funicular will just, you're just in a car and it has one track and it just goes up a mountain and back down a mountain. Boom, boom. Mm hmm. But up and down, man. Life's got ups and downs. Yeah, it does. Yeah, preach it, sister. (laughs) And, you know, we're just along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we have to pay 380 yen to go for that ride. And sometimes you can't get off. Sometimes you just have to complete it. Yeah. Sometimes you're there reading a book day in, day out. Until you have to pee and somebody steals your seat. Yeah, but if they touch you, you can curse them, and that's what's important. 
I do love how when she curses people, it's just a curse until Kazu is like, hey, babe, let me get you a coffee. And she's and that, like, that would be fantastic. Thank you. That is why I'm so fascinated with Kazu and I want to know more about her. And it only works when Kazu does it too. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting because she's it's not magical. even like the manager. She's just the manager's cousin. Yeah. No, like I, I, I really, really hope in future books I can learn more about Kazu. Yeah. Well, that's all that I have for you. Do you have okay. anything that you want to bring up, discuss? I think we oh. talked about everything that I wanted to talk about. Okay. Well, now it's going to be your favorite part. There okay. are questions that I ask all of my guests. Yay. This time, you are more prepared. Yes. Hopefully. Hopefully. So, first question. What is your favorite book you always recommend or your top three if there isn't just one? Okay. I do have an answer for this and I can't believe I didn't (laughs) say it last time. And I thought about it like a day later. Um, A book that I always, always, always recommend to people is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. And I know Trevor Noah is polarizing in terms of being on The Daily Show and as a comedian. But um, Born a Crime is a book about his life growing up as a mixed race child during apartheid in South Africa. And... It is fascinating. And um, I, I love books written by comedians because I feel like they have great storytelling ability. Mm-hmm. But the way he goes through his life and just his existence, um, because essentially his mother was a South African woman who decided she wanted to have a baby, found this random Swedish dude who's just white, white, and or maybe he was Swiss. He was either Swedish or Swiss. I can't remember. Um and had a baby with him, but because she had a mixed race baby, she couldn't even be seen with him in public because it was illegal. And that's why it's called born a crime. Um, but yeah, his experience growing up as a mixed race child during apartheid in South Africa is fascinating. So I always recommend that to everyone. And I cannot believe I did not recommend it last time. Um, and then a new one, a new one that I just read um, at the end of last year is called A Short Stay in Hell by Stephen L. Peck. And um, it's a quick book, but it's basically uh, this guy dies and goes to hell. And it turns out his version of hell, because people get sent to different versions of hell based on their life. um, He has to go through this library and it's a seemingly infinite library with every book that could have ever possibly been written. Um, and he has to find his life story with no mistakes. And that's how he gets out of hell. And it is, it's not even a long book. I mean, it's like 150, maybe 200 pages. And I, it was one of those, I got to the end and I just had to put it down and sit by myself for a little while. Um, just because of, if you struggle with any sort of existentialism, it, it'll it'll fuck you up like it's it was it was hard it was easy it was an easy read but hard to read for my spirit and I thought it was fascinating and I would highly recommend that to anybody to anybody who wants to sit alone for a while and think about things yeah anybody who wants to think about like the point of life and why we're even here and maybe have a little bit of a, a crisis over it. You should absolutely read that book. I think you're selling it. I think you've yeah. definitely sold that one for sure. <laughs> All right. Sure. This is definitely so different from what you suggested before. I don't remember the name of the book, but I remember you were like, 
this book. It's a series super... of nine books. Yeah, yeah it's like which a I million still recommend that. pages um, to read all together. To, to recap, that is Robin Hobb. She has a trilogy of trilogies. It's nine books all together. The first is the Farseer trilogy, and then it's the Live Ship Traders, and then then it's the Tawny Man. And I will still stand by that. You're going to spend forever reading it because they're all like 800 to 1,000 pages, but very good high fantasy. Still highly recommend. Oh, fantastic. But yeah, I did go from reading, basically giving you 9,000 pages worth of books to just a 200 page book. So I just think it's funny. So just for context, everybody who's listening, Courtney was the one who recommended that I start sending these questions out ahead of time. (laughs) Because when I asked these in real time, she panicked. And that was the answer she gave me for book to always recommend. So I guess you all are welcome now because you have more manageable manageable books to read if you also i feel like i actually made sense this time yeah okay that wasn't confident i'm just (laughs) kidding i think you made sense but that's also coming from me and you know perspective (sighs) um next question is favorite author or top three has this changed at all did you think about this one more i did think about it um i wrote down a bunch of uh of people um and it's not three um oh boy (laughs) that's my bad I didn't think about that I am going to stand by Lee Bardugo I really appreciate her foray she did a lot of like YA fantasy and she's now moved into strictly adult fantasy um if you haven't read Ninth House and the follow-up Hellbent you should absolutely do that and then she's got a new book coming out called The Familiar that's I think is supposed to come out in April and I'm very excited about that so definitely Lee Bardugo um Kristen Hanna and I know Kristen Hanna's been um pretty popular as of late because of the nightingale um the only caveat i will give with Kristen hannah is everything she writes is just heartbreaking like absolutely tragic um i have two of her books that i haven't read yet the great alone and um the four winds that are sitting downstairs and i'm just waiting for the moment when i think i can emotionally handle it um (laughs) but the nightingale is just it's about two women in Nazi occupied France during World War II and their sisters and the different kind of journeys that they take to help their people during the war. And it, it, oof, it's, it's a soul crusher. That's for sure. Um, and then, Hmm. I wrote down so many people. Um, I just talked about Robin Hobb. I think I talked about Tolkien last time. I am going to add one thing that I've been telling everybody lately because I've been rereading the whole Hobbit Lord of the Rings series. But by rereading, I mean I've been listening to them on Audible and Andy Serkis narrates all of these. And for those who aren't familiar, Andy Serkis was the voice of Gollum in the movies. Number one, he's an incredible storyteller. Number two, it feels like Gollum is in the room with you and it's fantastic. So that sounds a little bit horrifying. No, it's it's so good. Um, you and I have talked about Aaron Morgenstern. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Night Circus and um, The Starless Sea are the two that I've read by her. And her ability to just cast this powerful imagery on you. And I like I like books that have a lot of really strong imagery. Like you can see it, you can feel it, you can smell it. Um love her uh i wrote a whole bunch of other names down but that was three so i'll just leave it at that okay. next time i'll I'm save my list you. for next time oh boy it's just gonna keep growing yeah 
We'll never get to the end. No. <sighs> um, favorite book format. <clears throat> so paperback, uh, hardcover, audiobook, ebook. I do. I do. I'm going to give the same answer I gave last time. I usually have three books running at once. I have an audiobook for when I'm in the car or when I'm like walking or doing dishes. I have a Kindle for when I'm at work <laughs> and I'm not busy. And then um, if I'm just home reading, I like to have, um, a, I prefer a paperback, but I'll read a hardcover. All right. All right. Favorite genre? Uh, I'm still going to stick with fantasy. I still think fantasy is my favorite. However, I am more open to a lot more genres than I was before. And um, I've been into thrillers lately. Although just general fiction has been kind of something I've been gearing toward. But Mm -hmm. I like something with a little magic to it. Yeah. Like magical realism, I think, is, it seems like something you enjoy. Yes. It's kind of real, but then there's a touch of fantasy. I can relate to it, but it's how I want my life to be instead. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want your coffee to stay warm for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> do. But not too hot because I don't like when my coffee's too hot. Mm-hmm. got to put an ice cube in it. Oh. Yes. I feel like any really strict coffee drinker is going to hear that you drink your coffee black usually, and they're going to be like, that's my kind of girl. And now they're going to hear that you put a an ice cube in it, and they're going to be like, she's diluting the flavor. And you've just lost Probably. so many fans. Probably. Well. Shame. shame. It was a solid, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> um, next question is favorite bookstore. Um... I mean, I like Riverby downtown, and then most of my books I get online because I'm awful. I do appreciate, so I know Amazon is bad because waste and taking away from mom and pops, but I do like how there's been more of an emphasis on, like, used books. Like, there are a lot more options for used books on Amazon, so it's coming. Like, a lot of the books that I've gotten have come from, like, Goodwills across the country. Oh, nice. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that's how Amazon started. The reason I became familiar with Amazon, it was selling my old textbooks when I was in college because, you know, you can't sell them back to the bookstore. You get nothing. Yeah. But that's how I started on Amazon was I would sell my textbooks for a better price than they could get at a bookstore. Yeah. Wow. You were ahead of your time. Yeah. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Not true whatsoever. Um, Next question is, where do you usually do your reading? Uh, I listen in the car or when I'm walking around. I mostly do my reading at home on the couch or in my bed and then at my desk at work. <laughs> I like how that part is more of a secret, but you're getting closer to the mic when you say it. I have to say it quietly, even though nobody that I work with is going to listen to this. Whoa. Although, know. that's true. I, I did talk about my two coworkers who want to talk about Blue's Clues. But they, they they already know that I read at my desk. They do it too. Wow. I have been listening to audiobooks at work and it's been really nice. Yeah. To like finish books whilst working. If you do something that involves data entry and you're working with numbers, it's I found it's very easy for me to listen to a book if I'm dealing with numbers. If I'm dealing with like typing and writing actual words, I can't listen and type something completely different at the same time. But mm-hmm. back when I was doing 
payroll stuff and dealing with numbers, I, I listen to books all day at work. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. <sighs> all right. And then last question is, what is your social where people can follow you? So Instagram or Facebook or... It hasn't changed since last time. It's still cmfox1187. Um, you'll see lots of pictures of my dogs and my cat <laughs> and nature. Yeah. And your beautiful eyes. Every now and then. Yep. Those come up. And your fantastic posing. <sighs> I have one pose. But you, I do, you do have, have that pose down. <laughs> you do really have the same pose. But I it's do. so, so good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, that's everything that I have. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. Thank you for having me again. I feel like the lady ghost in that I have to pee. Oh, okay. Well, this is the perfect timing then. I know. All right. Good luck in there. I'm giving up my seat to your next guest. Thank you. (laughs) But I'll be back. (laughs) Don't touch me or I'll curse you. Yeah. Ah, fantastic. All right. Thank you, Courtney. (laughs) Thanks, Megan. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to Courtney for returning to the podcast. For the next episode, I'll have another repeat guest, Manda Simmons, to discuss Slewfoot, A Tale of Bewitchery by Brahm. See you on the flip side, besties. Mm-hmm.